Welcome to the Emerging Temple broadcast for September 27, 2019. I'm your guide, Michael Obeya. As we go on today, I'd first of all like to encourage you to subscribe to our channel, like, and if you hit the bell icon at the bottom of your screen, you'll be notified anytime we upload new videos. If you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com and look for our handle, Emerging Temple, and become a supporter. At Emerging Temple, we analyze current events within the context of God's plan for mankind. Have these events been foretold? Have they been prophesied about? And what is the God's mind about some of these issues? Today, we want to discuss the situation with immigration around the world. Women and children traversing seas and land, running from their homes where they have lived for hundreds, if not thousands of years, seeking rest, looking for peace, and the strife and the suffering that it has caused not only for the migrants, but also for the host community. Well, before we go any further, I'd like you to take a look at this video about what people go through right now. The prisoners are not from Niger. They're migrants from across Africa. Mon ami était en Italie, il m'a appelé. Italie, là, c'est bon. Si je venais là-bas, peut-être que je vais trouver quelque chose. Je vais aider mon parent. Au lieu de ça, j'ai quitté là. J'ai quitté. Je voulais partir là-bas. Like many others, John and Seydou were arrested as part of an EU-funded crackdown on migration. The road is, is, is almost closed because the police, the military men and everyone, they are very, 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 very serious. That's why I was even unfortunately arrested because they are ready to, they are ready to interrogate and to investigate on everyone. For years, migrants from the West African Peninsula transited through Niger on their way to Libya and then on to Europe. But in 2016, under heavy pressure from the EU, Niger began implementing a law criminalizing migration. Europe agreed to disperse 1 billion euros in development aid over four years if Niger began patrolling the desert, confiscating pickup trucks used by human traffickers, and rounding up smugglers and migrants. Without a wall or a fence, Europe cut down its migration flow by almost 90% since its height in 2015. But this success has side effects that EU politicians acknowledge could be causing even bigger problems. It has gone underground. We have seen a larger and more well-organized uh, networks, so that more organized crime taking over. And that certainly cannot be uh, seen as a security uh, uh, progress in any way. How much responsibility does the EU take? I think the EU, by its aim now, to put the border further and further away from Europe. So it's externalizing its borders. Even down to here in south of Sahara trying to block migrants from reaching Europe. So I think the responsibility is fully European. How many people do you fit in this? This How many one people? I can take 25, 30. 
So each truck ride, you can, if you have 25, 30 people, yeah. how much in total can you make? Two million. Two million CFL. Oh, so that's like, yeah. that's more than $3,000 just for yes. one truck. Yeah. Kowal used to have a thriving business smuggling migrants from Niger to Libya before authorities seized its pickup. After the new law came in, what, what's been the, the consequence? The consequence is a lot of young guys who don't have any job to do. And so many people also benefited from this uh, immigrant. So does this mean people are turning to other industries, like yes. other types of trafficking? Yes, some the they're moving for the other traffic, yes. Like what? Yeah, different things. So, yeah. Drugs? Some is drugs, yeah. What exactly is causing them to leave their home? If you look at the Southern Hemisphere, in the 90s, we began to have these wars. In the Americas, we had the Nicaraguan, Sandinista, Guatemala, El Salvador. And these, these situations began to cause an upward migration of people north, a consistent flow of people trying to get away from something, moving into North America. Then in West and Central Africa, the same pattern of destabilization was going on in the 90s. And that culminated in pushing of people north into Western Europe and all the way into Asia, in Bangladesh, and in parts of India, we have the same thing, pushing people north into the Emirates, Qatar, Dubai, Israel. And we have this situation all over the world of people who are fleeing something. And the question we have to ask ourselves, we're not looking at things from the political or surface level, but we're trying to understand if these circumstances have been foretold, and if they've been foretold, is there something in the word of God that can give us direction on how to handle ourselves in this time? Okay, now I want us to take a look at one more video that will show you the attitude and the response of the people, the host communities that are now forced to have to take in these new strangers, these new immigrants. We return now to France. Yesterday's attacks, among other things, put a spotlight on the growing tensions between the country's Muslim and immigrant community and a large portion of French society. NewsHour's Megan Thompson got a first-hand account of that, that divide on a recent reporting trip to the southern city of Marseille. This city of more than 850,000 is France's second largest and one of its most diverse. About 500 miles southeast of Paris and on the Mediterranean, Marseille is home to tens of thousands of immigrants from throughout Europe and more recently from North Africa. By some estimates, the city is now 30 to 40 percent Muslim, one of the highest concentrations of Muslims anywhere in this overwhelmingly Catholic country. Even before yesterday's attack, and even before two other recent attacks in France by Muslim men, 
tensions in Marseille between Muslims and non-Muslims had been rising. It's awfully complicated, all of this with the arrival of the foreigners who have changed everything in the town of Marseille. Retired photographer Claude de Gaham has lived in Marseille his entire life. He says he's felt things change over the years. Before, everyone knew each other. Even the first immigrants in Marseille, the Italian, Spanish, all of that, it all worked fine, perhaps because it was the same religion. But what came after? It's a lot more complicated, less integrated. And that, he says, has given rise to uneasiness. Difficult encounters are already occurring. The old Marseillais are annoyed to have people who come and bother them in their hometown because we have our ways and the new arrivals feel not well accepted and so you feel their hatred increasing. You can see it in the buses. There are fights and that didn't happen before. We asked if he believed new immigrants are to blame. I'm absolutely convinced that the main problems come from this. There are a lot of verbal insults, the stares, people in the streets looking at me. Natalie Bencia was born in France, the daughter of an Algerian immigrant. She converted to Islam in her early 20s and is now married to an imam. The mother of seven says once or twice a month she's ridiculed because she wears a headscarf. She also says she's been excluded from her children's school field trips and back in 2012 nearly had a confrontation in a store. A woman tore into me, really insulted me. She said, you've rejected our origin because she knew that I'm French because I told her. She really insulted me with all these names. She almost hit me. Bencia says she reported the incident to police, but nothing happened. According to one survey taken last spring, about a quarter of the French population had an unfavorable view of Muslims, which was actually much lower than other European countries. But during our visit to Marseille last month, many Muslims we spoke to told us about what they say is widespread job discrimination, unfair media portrayals of all Muslims as terrorists, and a pattern of hostile remarks. It doesn't bother me, I ignore them. But when you have your kids with you and someone insults you, it's degrading. And frankly, when it happens on the street, it's hard to justify it to the kids. They don't understand. My son, he says, when I'm big, I'm going to fight these people if they talk to you that way. And I say, they can't respond to Did you hear that? Her son said, when I am big, I'm going to fight these people. Because the little boy can't understand what his mother or father or himself could have done to warrant this hatred. And the fact is, they've done nothing to warrant that hatred. How did we get to this situation? This story you're reading here in France is also going on in North America, but not necessarily with Muslims. It might be people from Latin America. Same story is going on in Israel with people from Eritrea and Ethiopia. Same story is going on in Saudi Arabia and in Kuwait and the Gulf, rich Gulf states with people coming all the way from Bangladesh. Same story is going on all over the world. People looking for opportunities, leaving their homes. You think these people just want to leave their children, leave their mothers, their cousins, the people they love? to go someplace else, risk their lives? What would make a mother risk her life? Get on a boat to cross the Mediterranean with no life vest, with nothing. 
and we don't ask ourselves, is this part of a grand strategy of a mastermind that even our leaders don't really appreciate or understand? And that's the purpose of Emerging Temple. That's why we are here, trying to see where all these things can fit in because these things are not happening in isolation. You can see a pattern, but the question is, who is behind it? Is this something that is inspired from another realm? Let's continue. To aggression with aggression. Why do you think that people treat you this way? Uh, I really, I think it's fear of the other and also a lack of understanding of our religion. Also, I think that Muslims don't make enough effort to reach out and to explain the fundamentals of our religion, that there is a lot of respect for others. We also heard stories about a right-wing politician from Marseille, Stéphane Javier, whose actions as mayor offended some members of the Muslim community. He once interrupted a Muslim wedding because the bride was wearing a veil covering her face, a violation of French law. He explained it to us this way. We have an identity and we also have laws. So French law forbids anyone to be entirely veiled. So I have only... French law forbids anyone from being entirely veiled. Some of these people are coming from a culture where it is contrary in their belief to God for them not to be veiled. Now, are you going to blame the French for having their own laws, for what they put on the books for their own safety? Are you going to blame the immigrant for wanting to live according to her conviction to her God? Some force is setting the stage for conflict all over the world. And unless we try to understand this from the dimension of God and of Christ and of prophecy, we stand the risk of having a cataclysm that we could have avoided. Let's finish this. We applied the law. There's absolutely no Islamophobic, racist, or extremist motivation on my end. Last September, Javier was elected to the French National Senate the first time in history anyone from the far-right National Front Party had been elected to that body. The National Front has gained ground in France as worries about the economy and security have grown. So I am saying to the Muslims, the French Muslims who want to live their Islam, that they have the right to do so, of course. Our country, secularism, allows them to live their Islam. But Javier also insists that despite France's separation of church and state, the nation's long Christian traditions must be respected. I would like to remind people that France is a Christian country with an identity, a culture. So I'm telling the French Muslims, don't forget that here it is French soil, and in France, as it is done around the world, we also have to respect religions and rituals, customs, codes. So there is Islam, and there is Islamism, which is growing. Javier is also critical of national leaders like French President François Hollande for not fully appreciating the threat he says some French Muslims present. And just yesterday, following the mass shooting, the leader of the National Front Party said, 
time's up for denial and hypocrisy. The absolute rejection of Islamic fundamentalism must be proclaimed loudly and clearly. Massive immigration is causing Islamization. We can see that there are some extremist elements at the heart. They are very active. And the French authorities are completely frozen because they fear being labeled Islamophobic. French officials estimate as many as 1,000 French Muslims have left to wage jihad. There is an obvious radical Islamic drift that is becoming more and more violent. We need to take the necessary measures to match this danger. There is still another aspect to all of this. Many believe relations between Christians and Muslims are further strained because many Muslim immigrants are poor. And during difficult economic times, that leads to resentment about providing for them. The national unemployment rate in France is now about 10%. The economic situation is extremely serious. We welcome immigrants that have nothing and many of them have no skills. They become the state's responsibility. We are going to have to house them, provide health care, assist them at all levels. So what does the future hold for relations between Muslims and Christians in Marseille? There seems to be little optimism. I think that we'll need a few generations to get used to it. Me? I won't be here. But my kids, I think they will be experiencing some tough moments. It's getting worse and worse, and frankly, I don't think it's going to get better. For the NewsHour, I'm Megan Thompson, reporting from Marseille, France. Friends, what we just saw is a recipe for conflict. What, what does the Word of God say? How can we extricate ourselves from this kind of problem? You heard the man, he said, I know there's going to be conflict, but it's going to come after I'm gone. My children will, ha will have to deal with it. These people, these migrants who have been pushed out from their own homeland to places they never dreamed they would go to in their lives, they're not evil people. They're not bad, they're not thieves, but the host community, the people of Western Europe and North America and Israel and the, the rich Arab states, the, the citizens who want to protect their way of life, they're not evil either. They're not wicked because they want to maintain their heritage, their way of life. It's been set up as us versus them. There's a mastermind, friends, behind this. The mastermind is not just some wealthy, hidden personality in, you know, some capital of some country, some place in the world. The mastermind is the person the scriptures refer to as the Antichrist. And in these series as we've been going, you've noticed there's a there's something, there's something, there's a continuous thread. It doesn't matter what the topic is, it's taking us slowly towards a cataclysmic confrontation between peoples to evoke a third world war in which almost no life will be saved. 
we are giving you is the recipe from the word of God to prepare yourself and to protect yourself and to make yourself worthy. That's why we have taken these current events to analyze in the context of God's word. There are people who say God created the world and people can go wherever they want to go. Yes, God created the world, but God also permits boundaries. And I'm going to show you that from the word of God right now. This is from the book of Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28. And this is God speaking. He says, do not remove the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. There is the United States of America. There is Brazil, there is China, there is England, there is France, there is India, there's Nigeria. These are nations that exist now. Now, of course, anybody within those nations that wants to, you know, work out their own differences and split up or whatever, I'm not getting into any of that. I'm just saying, if you're from outside of these places, you do not have a divine right to go into these places. That's all I'm saying. Now, let's look at one more scripture to corroborate what I just said. This is from the book of Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says, and God hath made from one blood all nations, plural, of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the boundaries of their habitation. I'm going to say that again. This is from the book of Acts. A man speaking by inspiration of God telling us that God has made from one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and that determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Friends, God recognizes borders, but God also requires us to welcome the needy, the distressed, the homeless. So we have a dilemma. If your home can only take 10 people and you have a thousand people trying to get in, what do you do? How do you, how do you solve the dilemma? And so there's nothing but conflict. The answer is to do righteousness. 
we must be interested in the welfare of the least amongst us in these places where there are problems. Why is Iraq the way it is today? Why is Afghanistan the way it is today? Why is Northern Nigeria suffering from Boko Haram? Why? I don't want to get political, but we cannot go to sleep and pretend these things don't exist or that somehow or another, these things came out of the blues. We know how these things came about. People need help, help that we can offer in education, in training, in healthcare, in medical assistance, so people can have a worthy life in their own home. These are the things God has asked us to do. He didn't ask us to break down our borders and no one has any divine right to just go into someone else's country. I, I wanna share a video of a pastor who has a different opinion, but I want you to listen to this in light of the scriptures I just shared with you and ask, is he correct? Is what he's saying in line with what I just shared with you? Kiss these people like that. You he nailed it. Poverty and exclusion. Why is it that people are dying in Libya? Why is it that people are dying and sinking in Mediterranean Sea? Because of exclusion. Do you know that right now, Europe has taken the decision, especially the Italian government, that even humanitarian organizations should not rescue people who are drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. They should not be rescued. And if you are rescued, you are going to jail if you rescue them. Anybody who saves and rescues those people is going to... Now, that is protectionism. Somebody who says it's protectionism, they need to protect themselves. No, they are building a wall. They want to lock out the developing world. They are locking out Africa, Asia, and Trump is locking out Mexico, Latin America. Everybody is locking us out, guys. <laughs> we are a nuisance to the world. That is what the developing world are telling us. I'm sorry. I just got to laugh. Okay. I, I don't even know if this guy is actually serious. Okay, he just looks so, you know, pathetic. Okay, come on. What do you mean they're locking you out? What are they supposed to do? Just open up? Now, look, he started off on a, on a very serious note when he talked about the fact that the Italian government was saying people who were drowning shouldn't be saved. You know, that, that is wicked and that is absolutely unacceptable. You know, and everybody in the world especially the United States and powerful countries should speak to the Italian government and say, you know, no, no, that's not allowed. Okay. That's, that, that's not, that's not, letting people die is not part of the program, period. 
So he's right on that. But on the aspect of, oh, they're locking us out. What are they supposed to do? Just open their borders and just let everybody in? Okay? No, that's ridiculous. Okay? That is what Europe is telling us. That is what America is telling the world, Latin America and Mexico. The, what is that Trump is building his walls? Exclusion. And we all say, oh, we live in a global world. We are all citizens of the world. But I just talk. Who came about the idea of borders? It is the, the rich countries to lock out the poor countries. It is the privileged people of this world to lock out the underprivileged people. That's how people came out with the borders, with passports. Do you think? Okay, he is telling you that rich people were the ones that came up with the idea of borders. Well, you just read God say, he set the borders. He's determined the boundaries of habitations for the different nations. Now, he's saying, no, no, no. There are no borders. There should be no borders. Okay? There should be no borders. Everybody should just go wherever they feel like going. How do you govern? How do you, how do you preserve your culture? How do you preserve your values when people have separate, totally different values from what you have? There is a problem. But the problem is in the word, the answer is in the word of God. But coming up with these sort of harebrained ideas doesn't help anybody. God created passports, visas? No, it is the rich that are trying to protect themselves from the less privileged. Guys, it's supposed to be the opposite. The rich and wealthy, the strong and mighty, are supposed to be the ones lending a, lending a hand to the weakest of all. But in our world today, they want to even reduce the population of the world. Why? Friends, I want you to know that I want you to know that I'm not against immigration. I'm an, I'm an immigrant myself. But we need to understand there is a mind that has put us in the situation we are in the world. And not recognizing or, or choosing not to recognize borders is not the answer to the problem. Going to the word of God, I just, this is a short video. It, the purpose of it was to show us that God recognizes borders and he does recognize authorities in those borders. But he also is a God of compassion and he recognizes that we should take care of the stranger. Now, what are we doing to help the peoples from these poor countries in their home countries. These sort of these sort of things are what we should be concentrated on. We have pastors with big private jets 
asking for money to buy a new jet. We have people giving tithes, giving money, knowing fully well that people are dying in the Mediterranean like the last gentleman spoke about. We have people who are spending with reckless abandon. I want to encourage us to have a sense of proportionality as we go about the things we know we ought to do. We need to understand, regardless of the situation, that we're dealing here with a mastermind called the Antichrist that is trying to take the world into a position of a place of conflict. And the enemy is not the immigrant, and the enemy is not the indigent or the citizen that is concerned that her life and her country is being overrun and being changed. She has every right to be afraid and upset and to want something done about it. But I want to encourage all to turn to Christ, the immigrant and the citizen, and ask for a way out. Well, friends, my time is up. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be bringing out a new video very soon. Remember to subscribe, to like, and to support us at uh, patreon.com at our handle Emerging Temple. I look forward to receiving your emails, your comments, um, so we can discuss this offline if need be. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Emerging Temple broadcast. My name is Michael Obeya. Today is September 24, 2019. Um, please feel free to subscribe to our channel by hitting the like button, the bell button at the bottom of your screen. Um, also, you can partner with us by logging into Patreon and supporting us through um, our handle, Emerging Temple. Uh, today, we're going to discuss climate change. And uh, in light of what ha occurred yesterday at the United Nations, where a young child was put up there to insult the leaders of the world, and I say insult because of the manner by which a child could speak to all the leaders of the world, and no one in the press or anywhere in the popular media thought there was anything wrong with that. And um, we're going to discuss climate change. We're going to discuss how it affects us, how it affects our rights, how it affects our freedoms, and how it affects our finances, because there is more to this than meets the eye, okay? But before I continue, I would like us to watch this video and um, watch this child speak. My message is that we'll be watching you. <laughs> This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money 
and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? I don't know about you, but I have a problem with that. And um, from a moral perspective, should a child be brought to talk to kings, presidents, world leaders in that manner? What is what is the lesson children of the world who watched her would draw from that? Do they understand anything about climate change? Or have they learned that it's okay to speak to adults that way? But that's a moral question. But what concerns us most now is the financial aspect of climate change and how all this is tied into what Jesus himself prophesied about the end of times. First of all, let's take it from a financial perspective. Are you aware that worldwide big financial companies are lobbying to get themselves into something called cap and trade? You've never heard of cap and trade, or maybe you have and you don't even know what it means. In a nutshell, cap and trade gives the finance companies of Wall Street, the big banks in London and Paris and Germany and all over the world, it gives them the right to be able to trade the limited rights to emit carbon and other gases into the atmosphere. So for example, company A in um, Chicago can emit a trillion metric tons of carbon, but they need to emit two million, two, two trillion metric tons. I know that's a lot, but just, just go along with it. And company B can also emit two trillion tons of carbon, but they only need to emit 500 billion tons, metric tons of carbon. They can now sell this right of their half a billion, which they don't need to use, to this other company that needs to be able to give off more, but sell off the rights. Well, this selling of rights is the creation of new markets for Wall Street and other brokers. If you remember, something like this led to the financial crisis of 2008, but that was what were called derivatives and derivatives and um, collateralized mortgage obligations. But that's another topic. That's what you're not being told. It's nothing to do with the environment. It's nothing about your future. This is all part and parcel of the plan for the one world government that will be led by the Antichrist. Because this here is limiting our rights to that which will be determined by the moneyed elite. You might say, well, Michael, look, I don't own any factory. 
if these guys are going to limit big factories and decide that, you know, don't admit this and then they're going to trade, what's that got to do with me? Everything. Because if they can monetize for individual personal wealth, the right of somebody to a group of people to engage in enterprise, if they can do that, then they can monetize everything concerning your life. Some people today have issues, private issues in their families that lead to divorces. Do you know that there is an enterprise for child, um, when, when a child is taken from the family because the parents are unable to provide or the, 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 the government considers that they have a, 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 a household environment that is negative to the child, that there's actually industries now that have built up around that where they take this journey to foster homes and each child is probably worth $3,000 to each county, money that comes from the federal government. Well, it's while these are, this is a widely, wildly separate issue from what we're talking about, but I just want to use that to bring it home to you that there are things that occur in our personal lives that these money deletes are behind because it brings finance and money to them. Now, in countries like the United States and Western Europe that can actually police the emissions that their factories produce, these laws will be enforced. But what about those parts of the world where there is no enforcement? There are parts of the world where there is no emission standards for any vehicle you drive or any factory you produce, none. How's this gonna change that? How are you gonna police those places? Well, maybe you can. Maybe you can set up a one world government, a one world police force that starts with policing and monitoring emissions in different countries of the world. And from that, you can begin to expand it a little bit. So anyway, folks, that's my take on this. And I look forward to speaking with you next week. Welcome to the Emerging Temple broadcast. My name is Michael Obeya. Today is September 24, 2019. Um, please feel free to subscribe to our channel by hitting the like button, the bell button at the bottom of your screen. Um, also, you can partner with us by logging into Patreon and supporting us through um, our handle, Emerging Temple. Uh, today, we're going to discuss climate change. And uh, in light of what occurred yesterday at the United Nations, where a young child was put up there to insult the leaders of the world, and I say insult because of the manner by which a child could speak to all the leaders of the world and no one in the press or anywhere in the popular media thought there was anything wrong with that. And um, we're gonna discuss climate change. We're gonna discuss how it affects us, how it affects our rights, how it affects our freedoms and how it affects our finances because there is more to this than meets the eye, okay? But before I continue, I would like us to watch this video and um, watch this child, 
my message is that we'll be watching you. <laughs> This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? I don't know about you, but I have a problem with that. And um, from a moral perspective, should a child be brought to talk to kings, presidents, world leaders in that manner? What is, what is the lesson children of the world who watched her would draw from that. Do they understand anything about climate change? Or have they learned that it's okay to speak to adults that way? But that's a moral question. But what concerns us most now is the financial aspect of climate change and how all this is tied into what Jesus himself prophesied about the end of times. First of all, let's take it from a financial perspective. Are you aware that worldwide, big financial companies are lobbying to get themselves into something called cap and trade? You've never heard of cap and trade, or maybe you have and you don't even know what it means. In a nutshell, cap and trade gives the finance companies of Wall Street, the big banks in London and Paris and Germany and all over the world, it gives them the right to be able to trade the limited rights to emit carbon and other gases into the atmosphere. So for example, company A in um, Chicago can emit a trillion metric tons of carbon, but they need to emit two million, two, two trillion metric tons. I know that's a lot, but just, just go along with it. And company B can also emit two trillion tons of carbon, but they only need to emit 500 billion tons, metric tons of carbon they can now sell this right of their half a billion which they don't need to use to this other company that needs to be able to give off more but sell off the rights well this selling of rights 
is the creation of new markets for Wall Street and other brokers. If you remember, something like this led to the financial crisis of 2008, but that was what were called derivatives and derivatives and um, collateralized mortgage obligations. But that's another topic. That's what you're not being told. It's nothing to do with the environment. It's nothing about your future. This is all part and parcel of the plan for the one world government that will be led by the Antichrist. Because this here is limiting our rights to that which will be determined by the moneyed elite. You might say, well, Michael, look, I don't own any factory. If these guys are going to limit big factories and decide that, you know, don't admit this and then they're going to trade, what's that got to do with me? Everything. Because if they can monetize for individual personal wealth, the right of somebody to a group of people to engage in enterprise, if they can do that, then they can monetize everything concerning your life. Some people today have issues, private issues in their families that lead to divorces. Do you know that there is an enterprise for child, um, when, when a child is taken from the family because the parents are unable to provide or the, the, the government considers that they have a, 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 a household environment that is negative to the child, that there's actually industries now that have built up around that where they take this journey to foster homes and each child is probably worth $3,000 to each county money that comes from the federal government well it's while these are, this is a widely wildly separate issue from what we're talking about but i just want to use that to bring it home to you that there are things that occur in our personal lives that these money deletes are behind because it brings finance and money to them now in countries like the United States and Western Europe that can actually police the emissions that their factories produce, these laws will be enforced. What about those parts of the world where there is no enforcement? There are parts of the world where there is no emission standards for any vehicle you drive or any factory you produce, none. How's this gonna change that? How are you going to police those places? Well, maybe you can. Maybe you can set up a one world government, a one world police force that starts with policing and monitoring emissions in different countries of the world. And from that, you can begin to expand it a little bit. So anyway, folks, that's my take on this, and I look forward to speaking with you next week.